Yeah, I mean, it has just been absolutely wild. Like, I feel like the last three weeks has just been, I, I know people have turned to, you know, the stand, like people, you know, in our spheres in the left will turn to the, the Lenin quote of, you know, their, their weeks, there are their or decades nothing, where nothing or, happens. Yeah. There are weeks when decades happen. Right. But I feel like this has been more like the famous horse ebooks tweet of everything happens so much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel that. <laughs> like in world events, in labor, in just everything. Like I'm reading all these tweets about like new violence happening in, in Artsakh and Nagorno-Karabakh between between Armenia and Azerbaijan. And that just did like, boom, there's 600 tweets later and nobody's like talked about that because, oh, there's also escalating violence in Yemen and nobody's talking about that because right. everybody's talking about Ukraine. <laughs> I was going to say Yemen as well. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the crazy thing about this Ukraine shit is like, it just provides such a convenient cover for all of the other <clears throat> U.S. like imperial <laughs> operations and occupations oh, yeah. going on all over the world that none of them can even get press coverage anymore because they're sandwiched between like people pointing out the, the, you know, neo-Nazi hate symbols on Ukrainian soldiers' uniforms and, like, American liberals posting, like, I'll pay $19 a gallon for gas if it will <laughs> save a Ukrainian baby. Send yeah. us into the volcano, President Biden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I just saw some story where, like, a bunch of police departments in Colorado are sending their, like, extra military hardware that they were giving, like, over to Ukraine to donate it. Hey, here's an interesting idea. Police departments shouldn't have extra military hardware. <laughs> yeah. Damn, what a I don't know, John, that's pretty radical. <laughs> I know, it seems like a crazy thing. everybody to another episode of work stoppage your favorite uh extremely hard left-leaning labor podcast we That's are entirely right. listener supported just you know to be ideologically consistent so uh any money you might throw <laughs> us on the patreon is extremely appreciated it's it's everything that helps keep this show going if you're not in the discord already get in the discord it's a really fun place uh i just fired off like 19 music opinions in there in a row <laughs> earlier this week so so be on the lookout for my extremely thought-provoking statements such as lightning bolt rips unconditionally uh, <laughs> leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts or anywhere you think it would help just carve it into your desk at work with a with a little knife and uh make sure to follow us on twitter if you can find us we won't tell you the handles um <laughs> to start off to start off, we're going to follow up with the folks at REI in Soho who have won their union election. Uh, and the final tally on this union election was 88 to 14. Nice to see the numbers in that order and not the oh. other order. Oh, for God. A number of reasons. Of Holy shit. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I, didn't, I did not think of that. But see, no, it's good because it's the other way around. Yeah. And yeah, I mean... This was this was really great news to see, especially because, boy, was it gonna suck. 
mm-hmm. if making a woke anti-union podcast turned out to be effective. Oh, I was yeah. going to be really mad. <laughs> I mean, that's that's true. I did fail to mention at the top of the segment that this is the very same story in which the REI Corporation, I'm sorry, Cooperative, made a union-busting <laughs> podcast where they opened with their pronouns in a land acknowledgement, which is like... I like pronouns and a land acknowledgement, but if you're using it to union bust, man, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah. So it was really good to see these folks, you know, get their win. And in a overwhelming majority, mm-hmm. like that is just like 88 to 14, like basically 85% of the votes. Like, it's I mean, truly amazing to see, honestly. I mean, uh, I guess we've been seeing such blatant union busting, and especially with these so-called progressive companies coming out and being so shitty, I think that people are aware that they are fucking liars. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Th- it's it's not that hard to see, honestly. Well, and, and this uh, unionization is a major inroad for many reasons, not least of all it being the first REI store ever to be unionized but uh also any union that occurs in the the retail industry is a huge step in the right direction because less than five percent of retail workers belong to a union and i think half of those five percent work in the mire down the street from my house (laughs) yeah i mean honestly probably like yeah retail has traditionally been one of the toughest spots to unionize and i think one of the things that we're seeing with both REI and the stuff that we're seeing at Starbucks, where we're seeing these like overwhelming victories, where we're seeing these victories in spaces that have traditionally been so difficult, I think the, the commonality here a lot of the time has been a rank and file approach where you have like the workers are actually focused on organizing everyone and, and, it, and it's being allowing the union drive to be led by the workers at the store mm-hmm. instead of, you know, somebody who's sent out from the international and then says, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we've done it elsewhere. And then doesn't listen to the actual needs of the people like that are, that are, you know, will be the union in right. actuality. Mm-hmm. And, and because with REI, with Starbucks, we've seen that it's the, the strength and courage and, and efforts of these actual like worker organizers that have made these drives so successful. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean that I and I'm excited to to follow up on Starbucks later, but uh, I yeah. mean we have this uh, this statement from uh, Stuart Applebaum, the president of the RWDSU, said the workers of the REI of REI Soho are ready to negotiate a strong contract that will allow them to uphold the cooperative's uh, progressive values while providing top notch service REI customers have come to expect. These workers have stuck together through horrendous union busting through a horrendous union busting campaign and have come out the other side stronger. Now, I think that we have a little bit of a critique of this statement, uh, <laughs> but, I, I, but I mean, I, like, I, it's a it's a nice sentiment. It's a nice I, enough sen- sentiment. <laughs> I I think Mr. Applebaum is being magnanimous in victory here mm-hmm. <laughs> with the. Uh, you know, keeping up that whole "quote unquote" progressive values. Uh, it's good for the company and the workers. I am just like I, I would have to see his face and hear his tone of voice as he said this to understand true, yeah. the full context. Because there's unfortunately not little emoji peppered in here to convey <laughs> yeah. that meaning. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I know. And but no, like I, no eye rolling at the first part, you know. Right, right. Yeah, the, the service with a smile oh, that our customers <laughs> have come to expect. Yeah, I mean, thankfully we do also have though a statement from one of the actual organizers on the ground there, mm-hmm. Claire Chang, who's a member of REI Soho's organizing committee and who has worked at the location for four years who after the victory said, I'm proud to be here in this moment with my coworkers at REI Soho as a part of this new wave of unionization efforts that is sweeping the nation. As members of the RWDSU, we know we will be able to harness our collective strength to advocate for a more equitable, safe, and enriching work environment. That's awesome. And I, I love how like pretty uniformly for the last little while, every time you've seen uh, a statement from one of the actual employees involved in the unionization campaign, one of the first things they say is like, we are riding the momentum of a yeah. national wave of unionization. And I, I think it's really important that like that, that, that um, we really emphasize how much having like a, a a coherent collective labor movement in the United States really does make individual workers and, and workers at individual workplaces feel much more empowered to, to pursue this kind of representation and, and yeah, because they've got comrades. They mm-hmm. see them out there and they, they, they can see that they're have people to hold solidarity with. They're like, Oh, you know, I'm not just doing this. This isn't a struggle of me and you know, the other 80 or 90 people in my workplace. This is a struggle of thousands and thousands of people, not only here in the United States, but hopefully also recognizing the struggle around the world. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just, I know it like, it's social media. It's less important than, you know, seeing this in real life. But one of the things that like, you know, going around and looking for all the labor news and stuff that I've definitely noticed is that during these union drives, like the Soho, the REI union, the Starbucks unions, like Starbucks workers United, their accounts, the, 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 and then the story that we're about to talk about the New York tech times tech guild, all these folks have been like, you know, boosting each other's messaging, sending words of encouragement, congratulations to each side. And I know we've gotten like seen explicit discussions from like workers in these various struggles who have talked about, especially relating to the Starbucks Workers United movement, right? About like drawing inspiration from each other. The the you know the workers that are organizing at Amazon have talked about this mm-hmm. about about trying to you know learn from the the different tactics that that they've been using and especially learning like what union busting tactics they've faced so that they're ready to inoculate their coworkers ahead of time because as we've seen like i mean how, throughout the whole show what has been one of the themes is just like these union busting law firms kind of have a playbook and part of it is just because like it's been successful over the like past but also that they don't have much that, else, honestly. They're, the rhetoric right. is really limited to that that classic playbook. They don't have new ways of telling you that you shouldn't be a union. It's just classic, you know, uh, anti-union rhetoric, or even just like using the failures of business unionism against unions themselves. Yeah, and when you can go to your coworkers when you're talking about like getting ready, when you're you know getting ready to announce a union drive or something, and you can tell them, hey. This is what these motherfuckers are going to tell you. They're going to tell you that the union's a third party. They're going to tell you that that you don't need a union to solve these problems. They're going to tell you the union's going to get between you and management and keep you from addressing concerns. None of that's true. They say that everywhere they go. And then you say that stuff, and then they see the exact rhetoric that you told them was going to happen in a captive audience meeting. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I think it's pretty clear to folks that it's like if they're that predictable— then maybe that whole 
we're a family here is uh, some bullshit. Manufactured, yeah, it's manufactured. Hey, to be fair, the people in my family are extremely predictable. My dad's asleep <laughs> on the couch at 7.30 p.m. every afternoon. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, still in the REI story, the company says that it respects the decision of the workers, but obviously we're not super confident that they're going to be like, oh, so we're going to, we already have the bargaining session set up and <laughs> right. uh, and we're, we already have like a increase in wages that will make the workers happy to, you know, this or that. No, no. no, yeah, yeah, don't, yeah, no. Don't, <laughs> don't tell me you respect the workers decision. Tell me you're prepared to come to the table in good faith. You fucking psychos. Yeah. <laughs> you know, tell I mean, me something I, that matters. I have to imagine that the, that REI corporate, which I'm sure is not what they call it, but it's what it is. Like the, mm -hmm. their 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 you know war room right now has got to be working on primarily dragging the contract negotiation out as long as possible so that they can try and like nip this in the bud and keep it to one store because. <laughs> Uh, with this current wave, I think that's going to be pretty fucking tough, but they've got to be worried after seeing, you know, the, the wildfire that like the Starbucks workers United movement has been mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I don't think that the REI unionization movement is going to stop at one store in Manhattan. <laughs> not a chance. Nah, I hope not. Also, I, I, I know that, like, the there is a real concern that, like, REI corporate or whatever the fuck they're called is, like, amassing information and developing a plan to fight this really actively. But the idea of an REI war room where, like, a bunch of corporate <laughs> yeah. execs are using, like, little sliders on long sticks to push around <laughs> little miniature tents and, like, mountain bikes and, and rock climbing equipment. <laughs> On, on a board is so fucking funny to me. And then the union buster goes into the back room where... <laughs> yeah. and, and then it's a captive audience meeting and they're just sliding every piece into the middle of the table. <laughs> you know, it's, well, because it's all... It's, it's like in the Starbucks movement. It, it's just all the pieces are like the various corporate managers that they just keep parachuting. Right. And it's like, we're dropping them behind union lines. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, to get back on track, we can move to the next story that Dan had previously mentioned about the uh, New York Times Tech Guild winning their election, be making them the biggest tech union in the country, winning yeah. uh, with a with a better uh, like uh, vote count of four hundred four to eighty eight. That's right, four four hundred fouring the eighty eight. <laughs> Every I, I'm slowly becoming a numerology guy after this episode of the podcast. I gotta tell you, <laughs> there's hidden meanings here. But yet again, over eighty percent, you know, people voted for this union. Uh, I mean, we talked about that's the other thing with this one in particular, the New York Times tackled these folks have been fighting for this union for a while. Cause mm -hmm. I, I, I read, remembered the story that we talked about. I'm like, Oh, I should go find out when, when was it that we talked about this? It was in fucking August and mm -hmm. they just got their results. Like this was back in episode 64. We are now more than 30 episodes past that. And we're just now getting to report on this. And, and if folks will recall, like when we first talked about the, you know, these, these folks, these, these tech workers at the New York times and their, their efforts to organize a lot of the like news that we got about this union fight came out because of the New York times, one of their managers making the brilliant move of CCing one of the union organizers on an anti-union <laughs> consultant. Never not funny. Which <laughs> man that, yeah, that shit is hilarious. And, and the other thing that about this one that really, cause you know, we have so many of the aspects that we talk about, you know, the New York times likes to present itself as, 
the the liberal paper of record, maybe not progressive, but but very much not you know right wing, even though they are. But yeah, uh, we're like we're somewhere between the Washington Post and the Huffington Post. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, kinda. That is yeah. kind of their presentation, but like they've got that. They when they acquired the wire cutter. They voluntarily recognized the unionization of the workers there. But once the drive moved inside their building for their tech workers, suddenly that was a bridge too far. We couldn't just, you know, let those folks unionize. So they got to bring in all their fucking consultants, run, you know, what, six months plus of, of, a, of a union busting campaign, fighting this with the NLRB, like uh, making it. I remember one of the other things that came out of it, like in their work slack, they banned employees from like p- making their avatar like a pro union logo, <laughs> which, like, come on. I like, mean, one, I isn't that like in one way or another probably illegal? Two, yes. How incredibly petty. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like three. Also, like, what a panicked response. It's like there was <laughs> yeah. a horror movie sting after this wire cutter thing happened, and then like one exec called the other, and they were like, "We traced the union drive. It's coming from inside the house." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like because I think like if you think about it, like from a, it's like basically the digital version of wearing a union button. Right. Which is, again, a right that workers have, even if it is, you know, constantly violated. Mm -hmm. But, you know, thankfully, all of that shit failed, (laughs) like pretty hard. Like you've got this this margin of victory was enormous here with 80 percent of the workers voting for the union. And and so we got a, a statement from the union after their victory where they said, we look forward to working with management to win a strong contract that will not just ensure equity and respect for tech workers, but will also set industry standards across the board. Fuck yeah. I mean, S- setting industry indus- standards. Yeah, that was, that's also where yeah. I was going with the, with the props on that statement. Because, you know, absolutely, to have such a good contract that other people want to hold themselves up to that high bar, I think is part of the reason why unions are successful in showing that we can lift people out of poor conditions. As mm-hmm. like as union people fighting for you know better conditions in our workplace, and that's that's a nice basic entry into the union movement itself, and and I, I like that sort of uh, attitude. Um, well, and, and it, it takes the sentiment we were talking about a little bit earlier, where you feel bolstered by the successes of other unions, and then it takes it one step further, where you turn around and when you have your union drive, you say we need to pursue this in a way that will continue to have that effect for all of the other workers, and that's just like. That's that is so the correct way to do it. I got to say 100% right. Like, yeah. love that. And I mean, to your point, John, like we have a, a quote here from a senior software engineer, Nasli Samadzada, uh, which I apologize for almost certainly mispronouncing that, who said after the victory, we're just elated and really soaking in what this means, not only for us as tech workers at the Times and for the New York Times, but also for the tech industry as a, as a whole. I think this is going to be the start of a wave of organizing in the tech industry. That optimism is really good. I yeah. I hope that that's true. And I mean, we are seeing some organizing in the tech industry. I think that, you know, going back to the alphabet workers and, and things like that. And, and we were really hoping to see that uh, when we were first covering this sort of thing. But uh, that was a little bit before the the union wave that we're seeing right now. So hopefully it does really, you know, become that wave that, that they're looking towards. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to think of it like this. I mean, like uh, when 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 you're looking at a speed run category, like some obscure game, any percent <laughs> meme category, and someone gets a new world record, suddenly people start submitting runs like crazy. Well, when you get a new biggest tech union in the country, you got to think like the the gang over at Amazon Web Services, you know, technical team or whatever, has got to be thinking, well, we have more employees than them. We should be the biggest yeah. tech union, you know? Yeah, damn. God I did not right. expect I did not expect this to be the time where I found a application to speed running of Mao's quote that a single spark can start a prairie fire. Yeah. 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 I mean the uh, secret of Evermore community knows this. I think the American working class needs to learn it as well. Yeah, but so I mean, speaking of a single spark starting a prairie fire, mm-hmm. we've got a another follow-up here where so a couple of weeks ago we talked about the workers at General Motors Silao plant in Mexico like overwhelmingly throwing off their old shitty company union and voting for a new independent union that'll actually fight for what the workers are, you know, demanding to actually get fair wages, fair hours, you know, all the things that a union is supposed to do. Well, right on the heels of that, we've got another victory for independent unions in Mexico, where there's a a company called Tridenex, they're an auto parts manufacturer in Matamoros in northern Mexico, where workers were facing very similar, it sounds like anyway, like conditions. And just a lot of this is coming out of, you know, some great reporting in, in labor notes where you had basically the same thing where their union also affiliated with the old, the CTM, the, the basically the, the central workers union that was functioning as a company union at most of the places that it was operating where, as, as I think you said, John, like when we talked about this before, where they're basically just operating as an HR department, like, Mm-hmm. functionally like being weaponized against the workers instead of working for them. And I think that that so, actually that that comparison I think has been really useful uh yeah. for at least the way that I've thought about it and the way that like company unions are uh just uh just to put it in a slightly different context and I I, I don't know I just wanted to yeah give you props I yeah. guess. <laughs> I mean to be to be fair uh that comparison is not something I came up with. I lifted that from an extremely old interview with Murray Bookchin in which oh, he nice. said a lot of things that I no longer agree with, but that part has <laughs> always stuck out to me as being 100% absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean and and the workers were clearly fed up with the CTM not fighting for them because uh so they had their vote to either basically stick with the old union or look for new representation. And of the 1302 votes that were cast in the union, 1,126 of them were cast for the new union, uh, the SNITIS, or Sindicato Nacional Independiente de Trabajadores de Industria y de Servicia. What, what is, is that, the, like a, a 9 to 1 ratio, a 10 to yeah. 1 ratio? It's like the yeah. union looked at the, 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 the new, indi- the workers looked at the company union, and they were like, don't care, also ratio, also you only have 10 <laughs> followers. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, so the, the new National Independent Union of Industry and Service Workers will be now representing these workers at Tridenex. And we got a, a quote here from prominent labor lawyer and federal congresswoman, Susanna Prieto, who's been uh, like a big part of the organization of this union for the past several years, who said after the victory, this is a new era in free democratic unions in which they won't steal from you. They won't cheat you where they're accountable for how they spend your union dues and decisions are made with openness. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I also think that one of the coolest things about this story is that this entire organizing drive happened in about two weeks. Yeah. Uh, which is unprecedented for the amount of support that the union actually got and really shows how the previous company union wasn't doing shit and that the inspiring story of the workers at uh, GM Salau is just so empowering to them that they know, like, yeah, it's a no. It's a no brainer. It's it takes two weeks to get us in order. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Like so, and in addition to you know only having two weeks from the announcement of the election to organize, they also had to face just blatant vote buying from the company union. Where like in this this article, they referenced posts where like the CTM and people working for them were literally telling the workers that, Hey, if you send us a picture of voting for the CTM, we'll give you 500 pesos. And if you send us, if you get 10 or more of your coworkers to do it, we'll give you 1500 pesos. Weird to just like post blatant (laughs) anti-union bribery, like weirdly contextualized as some sort of incentive, like rewards program or something. What the fuck is that? Also, it really shows on its face that the that the old union, the company union, was in was a benefit to the company itself in de, like uh, demotivating the workers to do any collective action at all. I mean that the the business wants the old union, and clearly, if uh, if that's what they want, then that's not what you want. Yeah, because well, <laughs> obviously the not what the workers wanted. The president of the company union is probably some like senior executive who's technically hourly so he can run the union you right know, like. right right well i mean speaking of like the ctm and the the shitty ways that they that they've acted like so while these these workers only had two weeks you know to gear up to get out the vote to get everybody ready to get all the votes they needed uh it's been actually since 2019 that the movement for a new union has been like really being built because in 2019 there was a wave of wildcat strikes across Mexico and, and specifically at uh, Tridenex w- that w- that actually did result in big wage gains for the workers, but those were all organized independently because the company union wanted nothing to do with it. They're like, no, 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 we're not, we're not striking. What are you doing? Please don't do that. And then in the aftermath of the strike, so the workers, you know, they've got their energy, they fight for it, but and and they they make these wage gains, but then after the it ebbs because they don't have that permanent organization of a real union right. and all that's left is the shitty CTM. The company retaliated against a lot of the organizers of the wildcat strikes, firing a ton of them, despite the fact that they mostly had seniority. And so even per the shitty union contract that they had, they shouldn't have been able to fire them. And the CTM did nothing. They, they did nothing to protect those workers because they saw them as troublemakers and interfering with, you know, the good racket that they had going, acting as an HR department. Uh, yeah, and- it, it has echoes of like... Um- it's almost like the 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 CTM was like those are urban naxalites. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, absolutely. It's 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 yeah. It's the, these are outside agitators. Right. They're troublemakers. They're just stirring the workers up for no reason. Which is like that these kind senior, of rhetoric. These, these people who've been here for years and years and years mm-hmm. are somehow like outside agitators. Right. Yeah. That that shit is. That you never want to hear that sort of rhetoric. You start hearing, you're like, hmm, I don't know if I should be listening to this person. <laughs> but but thankfully, you know, now three years later, after so many of those workers were fired, their their efforts have really paid off. And but like 
there was also a, a quote in the article from uh, Daniel Rangel, who's a labor researcher who has been following this this movement that the workers in Mexico have been building for independent unions, who said, Tridentex workers have been harassed, beaten by the police, illegally fired, and denied contract benefits just because they're trying to toss away a sham protection union that hasn't represented their interests. Their lawyer, Susana Prieto, was thrown into jail under bogus criminal charges in retaliation for her leadership, and even when released, she was banned from entering the state of Tamaulipas. Not not the not not the not the uh, company itself, not the not the shop, the literal state in Mexico, mm-hmm. the large body of land. Yeah, I mean, what what is with governments in the Americas uh, being incredibly punitive towards lawyers who decide to take up uh, causes for the working class? It's almost like they're like punishing them because they're like, look, you're a lawyer. You should recognize your class interest in being right. in making X amount of money or more and, and just help us the ruling class instead. Because like, who's that guy? Stephen... What uh, the Donziger? F- Donziger, yeah, who like yeah. represented those Bolivian mm-hmm. farmers and won that huge uh, settlement against which which one was it Exxon or Exxon? Yeah, yeah, Exxon. Yeah, and, yeah, and then he you know has been like had his his law license revoked. He was on house arrest for like literal years. He was thrown in prison for mm-hmm. a couple of months by like a corporate prosecutor, which again is a thing that I I'm like those words should not go together. No, um, yeah, <laughs> but. Anyways, like back to this story. So like the the company that owns the Tridex plant, uh, Cardone, so U.S. auto parts like conglomerate, uh, they reached a voluntary agreement with U.S. authorities to provide back pay and severance to fired workers after the um, the illegal retaliation. This was all part of the trade um, negotiations over the last few years after the new trade agreements between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, like the update to NAFTA. Um, and Na- that NAFTA resulted- to Ripto's rage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and so that also resulted in an agreement from the company to remain neutral in this election, which like is almost like a funny agreement because I'm like, well, if the company union is a company union and they're not required to remain neutral, it doesn't really matter if the company is required to remain neutral. Right. Cause they control the fake union, but it didn't end up mattering. And so, you know, it, yet another overwhelming victory for the workers here. So, I mean, obviously we'll see how the bargaining for, you know, the the new contract goes, but like these are two really inspiring wins for workers in Mexico and like this is something that I th- again, we mentioned this when we talked about the Salau thing before. This was another um election where the AFL-CIO actually did throw some resources behind the independent union, which is very good to see because like this is the sort of these elections like U.S. unions that have resources should be getting involved to help these independent unions because fighting for the working conditions of the workers in Mexico only helps labor everywhere. Like, yeah, absolutely. this is a win-win for labor everywhere. So, like, this is great to see. I'm glad that the the, the AFL was, for, the, for once, on the right side of history in this one and the other election. And so, I, I mean, we've been talking a lot on this episode about organizing waves, and I hope we're, we're starting to see one in, in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, getting back on to over to the United States, we're going to go to the Starbucks story that I mentioned uh, 
earlier. And uh, we do have, you know, a few things to cover here, but most importantly, some pretty awesome victories. Uh, but first, we'll start uh, with the Philly workers, or the, like a Philly Starbucks, where they actually are demanding, or they did a sick out strike to demand that they are allowed to require masks. And uh, I mean, with the way that the Biden administration has come down with the new COVID policies, which specifically, like in the in the actual documents, there's this like line that says, oh, and protections for workers. And there's no like actual explanation for it. There's like yeah. big, I, I mean, you could just put a big citations needed next to the <laughs> fucking thing, because obviously there are no protections for workers and that there are, you, you have to stand up for your own rights to be safe in the workplace. And that's exactly what these Philly Starbucks workers have done. Absolutely. So these, these are the workers at the 34th and Walnut location in Philadelphia. And they actually filed for their union election uh, back at the end of January. But before they got anything scheduled or like really had a chance to move forward on it, they're already doing this sick out together. So like, you know, I don't know who's going around and telling these workers that they have all these fucking rights and they can just take these awesome liberties with with uh, the power they have from organizing. But like nobody ever told me this shit when I worked at Starbucks. So it's very yeah. cool to see. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I, like like this is to me like the perfect illustration of like, you know, what we've talked about, what, I, what you've made such a point of, of emphasizing Lena like so many times is that whether that workers have recognition or not. You're, if you're forming a union, you have a union. And these workers mm -hmm. are showing that. That's it's right. like, like, okay, we don't have an election yet. It doesn't matter. Like, we're organized. We're working together. We're fighting for each other. We have a union. We'll, we'll get to the election part. But, like, this <laughs> yeah. problem exists now. And so there's no point in waiting for the election <laughs> yeah. to do and this I, sort of I hope this really does intimidate Starbucks because they deserve it with all of the fucking union busting they've been doing. I, I I mean, the proof that the union is there is just ex – this is an example of the fact that the union is real. It is a very right. real thing. And right. uh, honestly, a, a, an election doesn't matter. A union shouldn't – or an election shouldn't require – shouldn't be required for this union, obviously. But, like, uh, I don't know. There's just uh, – what is it? We have this quote here. Uh Starbucks has decided to end its mass mandate along with the city of Philadelphia. As Starbucks partners, we disagree with this decision. At our store, every worker has been exposed to COVID at least once, Many, with many getting COVID, putting ourselves, our families, and our communities at risk. We want to feel safe at work. We do not feel safe if Starbucks will not retain its mask requirements. We have one demand that will cost the leadership of the, Phil of the Philadelphia market nothing. Allow us to continue to require masks across our stores. Um, but I thought that uh, American workers were tired of wearing masks. <laughs> I heard Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson say that. True voices of the people. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean... This shit has been so frustrating. Like, as always, listen to Death Panel, like, you know, the best mm -hmm, source out mm -hmm. there for news and analysis on what's going on with the, the COVID crisis and public health in general. But, like, and one of the things that you'd learn from, from listening to Death Panel and that has been so helpful for me to not feel insanely gaslit over the last few months as the Biden administration has turned to basically the same exact kind of COVID denial as the Trump administration just dressing it up in different language mm -hmm. is that this whole messaging that 
people are done with mandates. Of uh, like Americans are done with COVID. They want to get rid of the masks. Da, 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 da. That is only true for the pundit class, like the the upper middle class to upper class, like wealthy folks who are not importantly retail workers or service workers or people who, you know, are going to be in one location indoors for eight, nine, 10, 12 hours at a time with, because they're like, Oh, well it's fine. You're vaccinated. It's low risk. You go in some place. It's five minutes. You come out. It's like, because they, they have the, that like customer brain. brain. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And it's like, that's what you do. That's not what the workers are doing. They are stuck Mm -hmm. there all day. And so the idea that like, yes, cases have gone down. That's wonderful. It's, it's fantastic. It's, it's uh, not really because of any policy by the state. And the idea that every single other time in the two years of the pandemic that we've been in, we've lifted these, these mandate mask requirements and then immediately been hit with another surge. There's no reason that's not going to happen here. And so there's this whole idea that Americans are just fed up with masks. And if you actually look at the polling, it's not true. It's only true for the rich. It's not true for the working class. The, like, the lower a uh, respondent's income is, the more they want to keep mandates in place because those are the people that are in these sorts of jobs that are having to be in the workplace all day with customers coming in and out. And, and there's like no way for these folks to be ensured that they can protect themselves at work. If they can't even just ask a customer to throw on a mask for the five or 10 minutes that they're going to walk into the store. Well, and I think that one thing that's really important to remember about this and why this particular action is so important is because there are actually going to be removals of protections for workers and that will allow yeah. bosses to restrict employees from wearing masks in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that if some like crazy old dude comes into your Starbucks and wants to blast particles all over you while he <laughs> screams yeah. at the top of his lungs that you didn't scrape the last little bit of foam off his latte, even though lattes <laughs> just have fucking foam that's part of what a latte is, uh, <laughs> there's not going to be any fucking protections for you anymore. Yeah, yeah, well, and and to show that there are people fighting back because there are a lot of people with you know who get a lot of their uh, news from liberal sources or themselves are very liberal who think oh there's no one mm-hmm. fighting back against this stuff the the statements by the Biden administration are true because that's the only thing I'm hearing because those are the things that are being reported by by the newspapers or whatever right but in reality there are people fighting back and to to say that there aren't is is ridiculous and it, and it's to say that these workers are doing nothing which is absolute bullshit and and insulting and it's yeah, also just it, telling on yourself that you don't read labor notes you fool <laughs> 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 yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, because like I, I didn't write up a, a story on this one, but like right now there's an ongoing fight between uh, Chicago public schools and the teachers union because part of the teachers union's agreement to come back, whether they made with the schools during the big like at the height of the Omicron surge mm-hmm. was that they would control when a mask mandate comes out and CPS just recently decided, no, we're unilaterally lifting it on the 14th because COVID's gone and COVID's gone away. And I've seen, you know, so many messages from, from like teachers as well as parents, like that are pointing out, they're like, okay, so a cup, like the two, like upper middle class, like majority white districts have parents that want you to lift this. And then all the rest of the schools with that are primarily working class that are primarily people of color, where for the vast majority of the parents, like they don't like 
where like they don't want their kids to like be exposed to COVID, especially when we, you know, have more and more data that you don't really get natural immunity from mm-hmm. COVID. <laughs> like it goes away in like a month and that every time you get it, you can get compounding, you know, impacts to your like organs, like all of them, including to your brain. Like, so, especially with the point, you know, we still have kids who are under five can't get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. There's this whole promotion of the idea that one way masking protects people and it doesn't. Anyways, I'm not going to rehash every yeah. death panel episode. Go listen to death panel. But right. I, but I but I do think that one of the other great things, though, that I just put in here that I saw that was awesome of, as far as people fighting back was this was on Tuesday. Somebody had, had tweeted out that they were on an, an Amtrak train and the conductor comes on the PA and, and told people, despite what the CDC says, we're still in a pandemic. Mask mandates may have been lifted elsewhere, but they still apply on this train. If you do not keep your mask on, we will not argue or debate with you. We will simply leave you in Yonkers. Woo! <laughs> I, I love I love the energy of we will not argue with or debate you. That is the strongest possible move. Mm-hmm. I fucking yeah. love that. Because like I when I'm at work, like, you know, they lifted all the mask mandates and, and our office gleefully sent out this email. They're like, you don't have to wear a mask if you don't want to anymore. And everybody's like telling me about it. And then me and the guy who parks next to me are both wearing masks. And he's like, Do you want a really good one? One of the guys at my stops gave me like a, a 3M N95, you know, like a really nice. good mask. And uh, I'm like, Yeah, man, thank you so much and he's like i'm still wearing mine because my kid's under five and immunocompromised and i'm like i'm just wearing mine because like i know people who are in the hospital (laughs) with covid right now (laughs) yeah it's not good yeah i mean it's it's wild but like as you were saying at the top of this story though lena uh (laughs) just because um you know there's been so much starbucks stuff i wanted to tack these on to the end of this because it's there's so much Starbucks news every week and I don't want to leave it out there because it's, you know, one of the most important organizing movements we've seen in a while, but there's <laughs> and a been a former couple employer other... of two thirds of the hosts on this podcast. That's, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> we have a bias. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's also been, you know, some more news as far as just the, the organizing drive going on there. Uh, so Starbucks has ratcheted, continued to ratchet up. Their, oppre- their repression against workers. They've been slashing hours like company-wide, especially at places that they've been organizing where they've hired a ton of staff to try and dilute the voting pool. They've been, you know, as we t- discussed in the, 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 a couple of previous episodes with people who have been fired because of scheduling changes, and now, yet again, they have fired another union organizer in Buffalo, this time Danny Rojas, for being 26 minutes late to a 5.30 a.m. shift. Which they was because of car troubles and also what? having and also having closed that the previous shift... Wait, their shift had been changed, like, literally the day before, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, so, so Rojas had another job at Trader Joe's, which, of course, Starbucks knew about and was informed of. And they were closing at the Trader Joe's the night before. So... They got scheduled then to do basically. I don't know if five thirty is opening. Uh, or it's, it's pretty close. It depends. Might on the as well be hours. if you're closing before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like they basically said that like uh, Rojas that they went home, got like two hours of sleep, got dressed for their job at Starbucks, went to Starbucks, got like one more hour of sleep in their car in the parking lot, and then tried to go in. But like hmm. they they like slept through their first alarm because they had only gotten like two and a half hours of sleep after closing 
and again, are less than a half an hour late, and they're fired. And the justification was, oh, well, this isn't their first uh, infraction because previously they had gotten disciplined by Starbucks, not for being late, not for stealing, not for mishandling cash, not for being shitty to a customer, but for telling their coworkers that they couldn't wait to get their degree and be able to leave the company. That is like that. I mean, if you've ever worked for Starbucks though, you know that saying stuff like that, like your store manager does pull you aside and they're like, Hey, we really need you to exemplify the team player spirit of coffee, whatever fucking bullshit. Yeah. No, they, they they're, they have this like ideological bent that the company is some sort of supreme being that you have to fulfill all of its needs at all times. Well, and I think that this is one of the the areas of why unions are so important that we mm-hmm. haven't really we don't necessarily talk a lot about, but just giving you the breathing space to be able to talk to your coworkers as a normal human being and not have to worry that oh, but shit, did I slip up? Was my manager sitting around the corner? Am I going to get written up for this? Right. Like, just that level of protection alone, I feel like, has can be so, like, important to making your daily work environment just less stressful. Yeah, you're absolutely right, because there, there are some instances where you see someone who has a union and their boss is like, you are now scheduled to come in tomorrow at 5 a.m., and they just text back, they're like, no, I'm not. Have a nice night. <laughs> and uh, like, that's awesome. Yeah. But like those moments are like these, these, these really cool, extra sweet, like pinnacles uh, of, right. of, of the niceties of having a union. Whereas like what you're talking about is like the daily oxygen you're breathing of, of whatever workspace you're in, where it's like, can I talk about how excited I am to go to the bar after work on Friday right. and finally blow off some steam? Or am I going to get sat down and have a 45 minute conversation about why that doesn't reflect well on the company? And like, that's absolutely true because when you have that breathing space mm-hmm. in your fucking day-to-day work environment it gives you the leverage to not just like do further organizing activities and all kinds of other things we would normally promote on this show but also just like have a decent day you know yeah. <laughs> like well absolutely because like i mean look we're we're obviously you know we do this show because we want to promote unionizing we want to promote the the struggles of the working class but it's just like so much of this is just about making your av- your the the place you spend eight nine ten twelve hours a day and fighting mm-hmm. to make sure that it's not ten twelve hours a day, but like just a bearable in- environment at a at a minimum, and maybe even one that you don't dread going to every day. Yeah, I I I, I just dream of a world where working a job doesn't turn us all into Scott Adams the Dilbert guy. Is that <laughs> yeah, too yeah. fucking much to ask? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, clopening shifts should be fucking illegal. Like, yes. I don't care if you have two 100%. jobs. I don't care if it's, you know, especially at one job. But even if you've got two jobs, they should be just fucking illegal. There should be minimum turnarounds for work, play, yeah. work, for work time. Um, that It's just unacceptable. Um, yeah. But absolutely. Yeah. But so thankfully, even though, you know, Starbucks has done this clear retaliation, uh, the, the workers did get the last laugh on this one because, uh, yesterday, cause we're recording on Thursday. So on March 9th on Wednesday, we got the vote counts of three more stores in Buffalo and Starbucks workers United went three for three. We are, we are now at 
six unionized Starbucks across the country with stores in Buffalo voting, although they were pretty close, 8 to 7, 15 to 12, and 15 to 12, all in favor of the union, no outstanding challenge ballots. Like, this shit has gone through. So Starbucks Workers United is now six for seven on its, uh, you know, union elections, which is a pretty damn good percentage. Yeah, that's extremely impressive, considering how repressed labor has been in this country for so long. Yeah, and, and like, I mean, this is, these you know, these stores in Buffalo have been facing this level of repression the whole time like this is months and months and months of this shit like they have been getting the full brunt of Starbucks's anti-union campaign thrown at them especially since the other three stores in Buffalo voted and yet and so like the best they could do was make the vote close right like the company didn't win any of these so like the they threw everything they had at this stores and the worker still won which is like such a great sign it is like honestly at this point uh and you're starting to I'm starting to see headlines like this in some of the more mainstream press where it's like maybe it's time for starbucks to uh change their tack on this and, and admit <laughs> that their 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 union busting t- strategy is not working i i it's wish so it's it's so cool to see workers like mobilized to such a high degree that even the mainstream press has to be like, maybe this insanely anti-worker campaign should not be pursued this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Where, so yeah, where's it's our just... where's our kinder, softer, softer worker repression? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, always always an inspiration to see these victories and 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 you know we've got over the next few months a hundred more stores that have filed for a union election so we're going to be talking about this all year and i hope that you know that win percentage just keeps going up and up and up <laughs> absolutely so our next story this week is is it's kind of a twofer um, they're not really related, but they're both in Italy. So I wanted to put them in the same block. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some stories of students as well as doctors, you know, rising up against awful working conditions and, and, and fighting against in the student's case, uh, mandated free labor or, uh, which we've got had a, a term that we've used on the show a few times for what that is. Um, <laughs> And uh, the doctors also fighting back against austerity and privatization in the healthcare system. Like, and this story about the students is like really tough. Like, this is some fucked up stuff. Where, uh, so this is is mostly occurring in. This was a few weeks ago. So, in on February eighteenth, tens of thousands of students and maybe as many as two hundred thousand people marched in protest in forty cities across Italy to demand changes to this work study model that has been implemented over there for since 2015, where the, the protesters are fighting to end this program called PCTO, uh, which I don't know what it is in Italian, but I believe it translates to pathways for work skills and orientation, which is a program that was implemented as part of the government's reform of the school system called La Buona Scuola, which I, I don't speak Italian. <laughs> the so good I'm sure school. That's what that means. It's close yeah. enough to the Spanish that it's not yeah, that hard yeah, to figure yeah, yeah. out. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, I can, tra- I can translate that because of Spanish, but like I can't pronounce anything in Italian, but oh, like, sure. yeah. so that reform 
put in this program that requires all students in the Italian public education system to perform unpaid training, quote unquote, training work as part of their curriculum. And so in, since that's happened, there have been a bunch of student deaths in these work training programs, including two in just the past, you know, several weeks. And so these these hundreds of thousands of people were demonstrating across the country to demand an end to that program and to demand the resignation of the Minister of Public Education, Patrizio Bianchi. Hell yeah. I mean, it's just totally unacceptable for a government to step in and be like, okay, we're doing some educational reforms. You get a mandated unpaid internship. You mm -hmm. get a mandated unpaid internship. And if you don't do it, it's either like against the law or you don't get to pursue your degree or whatever the fucking punishment is for this shit. It's, it's very deranged. Yeah. Well, yeah. and to go into some of these stories of the people who have died recently on January uh, or in January, 18 year old Lorenzo uh, Pirelli was killed on the last day of his unpaid yeah. internship, uh, where for Buramec, uh, a company that makes road scales, uh, and he died when a metal beam fell on him, like while working for free. Uh, I, and then less than a month later, on February 14th, 16-year-old uh, Giuseppe Linocci, uh, it was, they were killed uh, when a work van uh, of the thermo-hydraulic company that they were doing their unpaid internship thing for, they crashed into a tree. They got in a car accident. And, like, the, I, I, I don't even know what to, to, to say to make this more clear that, like, these people are being exploited by this system and they're dying for this system while having no protections. I don't even know if they're like, there's not even, I, I don't know. It's, I mean, they're, they're unpaid teenagers. Like that's, yeah, that's the thing. Then they're working these extremely dangerous jobs. Quite obviously they're not safe. If you can just be crushed by a, a metal beam and 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 to to be in a situation like what situation would you have to be in for a reasonable person to say okay let's make the 16 year olds go work in extremely dangerous conditions for no money on threat of like being pulled out of their school program or whatever there's none there's none there, you'd have to be in a society that narrowly survived a major asteroid impact or something <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's yeah, it's insane. Like this is it, it, it is basically like we're going to reform school by giving you a semester of child slavery, like mm -hmm. it, it, the, in, in ways that are profiting private companies who are no doubt providing kickbacks to the you know politicians to to implement this sort of plan and. <sighs> And so, like, there was a we had a, there was a statement here from Luca Rodolfi, who's the national coordinator of the Union of Students, who said uh, in reference to Lenoci's death, this death adds to the long list of deaths at work and in school, deaths caused by a sick system aimed solely at profit. We express solidarity and closeness to the boys, family, schoolmates, and friends. And one thing that I I didn't put in the notes, but that I, when I was reading on the stories on this, like, there was a lot of mobilization around like the young communist league in, in, in Italy, as well as like the communist parties and stuff. But one thing that was a little strange was that it, it, it seemed like they were having trouble, like linking up with the major trade union federations, which like is odd to me because I'm like, this is a, like, this isn't just like a student issue. This is a labor issue. Right. And like, this is a way in which 
the companies and the state are undermining labor solidarity and doing it in a way that is literally killing children. Right. So like, yeah. I mean, every sector should be out there protesting this, but like, well, especially I, the labor unions. <laughs> I have trouble understanding sometimes the relationship between the public and private sector in Italy. And I think it's yeah. very deliberately confusing because they never really like repealed or removed a lot of their, uh, you know, private public collaboration laws right. and guidelines from that time in history where they invented fascism. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and these were some, like, these were not just, you know, like your, everybody show up and chant and wave a banner, like right. protest. Not that those are bad, but like, some of these got pretty heated. Like, uh, the, they were like police attacked the protesters in several cities, especially in Turin and Bologna. And to the point where seven cops were injured in Turin, I, I, and I, I'm sure there were many more students who were injured, but Mm -hmm. unfortunately the reporting that I saw on it didn't list a number there, but yeah, this system is just like awful. (laughs) Like, like unpaid internships are fucked enough. That they but, even exist. But then mandated unpaid internships yeah. is just, it's appalling. I don't i don't even know if I have a good word for it that isn't just like, this is the worst fucking thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, look, any, like, look, I don't know enough about the situation to make a, an informed critique of any involvement or lack of involvement by the, the labor movement in Italy there. But the, I mean, the fact they were able to get 200,000 people out like that's a lot of fucking people. Yeah. Um, so I hope that they're able to, you know, build that momentum because like, you got it. Like that system is just, you gotta get rid of that. <laughs> like that's cause like a longer, like it's, there's, there's no incentive. They're unpaid workers who can't join a union. There's no incentive for the companies to do anything to keep these people safe. Yeah. Like, so like the only solution is to get rid of that program. But yeah, well, still in Italy, uh, we're moving to our next story in uh, in the in the country, which is where uh, ten thousand primary care doctors had gone on strike for two days, March first and second, to protest government austerity in their healthcare system and the way that it's been used as like a justification for increased privatization and the kind of thing that we've seen here in the United States for I don't ever I don't know like <laughs> yeah yeah so. This is a situation where, like, Italy, like most of Europe, has had a state-run healthcare system, but it's kind of a mixed system now, where successive Italian governments have introduced various reforms to try and sort of piecemeal privatize parts of the system. And a big part of that has been that for the, like, state-run primary care facilities, the state has been keeping wages for these primary care doctors really low, Mm -hmm. which means that when you see students like medical students going to university to get their degree and then figure out what they want to do, like what kind of doctor they want to be. Well, they look out there and they see, well, I can be a primary care doctor. I can be, you know, a general physician and get paid pretty shittily, or I can go, you know, work at a hospital, be a specialist, be a surgeon, be a cardiologist or whatever, which are important, of course. Um, but like 
this there's this problem of the disparity in pay and the which results in the devaluing of the position of the primary care doctor which for a lot of people at least if you're in a country that has an even semi state run healthcare system is going to be the the healthcare person you're going to interact with by far the most mm-hmm. and really like makes that such an important position well and especially if you're from you know the lower class as the working class mm-hmm. however you want to characterize it you see your PCP that's pretty much like 90 to 95% of the healthcare you get. Whereas like if you are bourgeois or very wealthy or however you want to characterize that, uh, you might go see, like if, if you're having chest pains, you might just go see a cardiologist. So there's this whole way in which this just gradually removes access to medical care and also impoverishes the quality of the medical care that the lower classes in a country can receive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and in the face of COVID, uh, Italy has seen over oh, nearly 400 primary care doctors die because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, Italy's government has done very little to provide anything for the fam- for those families. And the idea that there are not enough, there's already this system that de- de-incentivizes people to become primary care doctors while the primary care practice itself is underprotected in this pandemic is just leading to huge amounts of, uh, or I mean, I guess a huge lack of primary care doctors, even in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. And to that point, there was a quote from one of the protesting doctors in Rome who said, a majority of the physicians working in primary territorial health care in Italy today are women, yet they cannot use their maternity leave because of the shortage of doctors, making it difficult to find replacements. They're basically forced to give birth in the ambulatories where they work. If we're serious about ensuring equality among women and men in this sector and want to keep the system running, then these rights have to be upheld as well. Yeah. And like that, I mean, that just anecdote alone, like tells you how desperate the situation is with, with a lack of primary care doctors. And, and they've also like pointed out that like this slow fragmentation and privatization of the system, it actually contributed to the trouble that Italy's system has had dealing with COVID Mm -hmm. because as we've seen on steroids here in the U S privatization and fragmentation is exactly the opposite of what you need <laughs> to deal with a pandemic like this. Like if you don't have a centralized healthcare system, like say China, like then you have inputs from a million different systems that are not talking to each other. You can't coordinate contact tracing. You can't coordinate any of the other measures and it leads to more deaths. Yep. Like, and so like well, the doctors are really, it's the, it's the, it also leads to the classic, uh, like, capitalist uh line of oh look how inefficient these systems are we need to privatize them uh as if like their underfunding of the system in the first place isn't the problem and that the solution somehow is to let some rich asshole profit off of everyone's health care right yeah i saw i saw a few people talking about that on twitter where they're like the plan is and it's so simple you just beg the government to let you privatize oh a little itty bitty bit of the healthcare system please 
It'll be such a fun experiment. And then when they do, you set up something that fucks up by contact, like every part of the healthcare system that it touches. And then you're like, wow, look at all this state incompetence. You should definitely let me privatize even more. We'll run it like a business. Businesses always run fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so these doctors, again, yeah, like 10,000 primary care doctors who went on strike for a couple of days have been fighting for more funding for the state healthcare system reform so that they can actually centralize things and like to stop the privatization of the system. Like the, the Italian union of territorial doctors wrote on their, their website ahead of the action that we say enough of the creeping privatization of medicine. The aim of our strike is to protect physicians and by doing that to protect the public health system. Yeah. And absolutely. And that's like what it's about. Like, I mean, because we talked about, you know, these healthcare strikes like before, but it's like with all of the other problems that come with privatization, like when you do it in healthcare, like you are throwing people's lives away. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's the ultimate result. And so, so good for these doctors for, for standing up and fighting back. Yeah. Well, and uh, I guess in the spirit of fighting back, we're going to move back on over to the United States to cover some Minneapolis teachers who have gone on strike for the first time in 50 years. On Tuesday, March 8th, International Working Women's Day, uh, months uh, months after months of negotiations, thousands of teachers and education support professionals went on strike in Minneapolis. The teachers are demanding higher wages, smaller class sizes, access to mental health resources for students, and policies to prevent discrimination against people of color uh, or against people of color workers. I mean, workers of color. Mm-hmm. All right, we got yeah. that. Especially since uh, you know they they're using they have since Minneapolis is part of the Twin Cities right next to St. Paul, uh, comparing to St. Paul educators who were generally much better compensated than people in Minneapolis, they are they're able to see and compare those conditions directly, and they very easily authorize this strike. I mean, it, it's really yeah. impressive by what a margin they authorized the <laughs> the strike, right? <laughs> Like, yeah, like it, they they pulled ninety three percent of the workers and ninety seven percent of them said to strike. That's insane. That's awesome. And you know there was yeah. like one one teacher in the mix who like is a, a month from retirement and remembers the last time they struck fifty two years yeah. ago. Now, I used to be in the CPUSA before it was full of feds. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like it. So one thing that like right before the strike. Minneapolis and and St. Paul had timed their contracts to like expire at the same time. So there was a chance that this you'd have both sides, like both parts of the Twin Cities going on strike at the same time. But the St. Paul educators reached a tentative agreement the night before. So it's just in air quotes, the Minneapolis teachers who are an enormous teachers union who have, who have gone on strike here. And a big part of this fight, like specifically because you you pointed out that they're fighting for better wages, of course, and they're asking for a 12% raise for first-year teachers. But a big part of this fight is for living wages for the like education support professionals, so people who may not be necessarily classed as teachers but are absolutely vital to the functioning of the our school systems. Like These are the sorts of people that help make sure that the schools can actually run. Yeah. And in Minneapolis... Those workers start at a whopping $24,000 a year. Oh, yeah. $12 an hour to 
be an education support professional. And, right? and Minneapolis like that, is not a cheap city either. <laughs> it's no. as expensive as any other major American city. Yeah. Well, and it even shows with the um and I'll get back to some of the other information or we'll get back to some of the other information, but the um statement we have from uh Marsha Howard is they said uh the school districts pay poverty wages to the uh education support professionals. There are seventeen year old students who can leave and go to Target and make more money than the education support staff that uh are even while working a part time job. To say that you can make more money part time at Target than you can being a, a providing this essential service to the education program in Minneapolis uh is is pretty insulting honestly when it comes to these these really important jobs that have to be done not to say that like people at target should be paid less it's that the te- the these support staff need to be compensated so that we can actually get people into those positions and not be left in precarity because i mean imagine if one of those support staffs is the, one of the mental health coordinators for the children which is probably mm-hmm. the kind of person who's in that job uh and they themselves are living less than paycheck to paycheck barely getting by i mean if your mental health professionals don't have good mental health because they can't pay their rent i mean how much help are they going to be able to give uh, i mean like, with for twenty four thousand dollars yeah for twenty four thousand dollars a year it's like i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these people had like six roommates or were living in their car yeah. or were otherwise in like very very difficult situations and like let's be real this is the same thing that we run into with uh medical health professionals which is that mm-hmm. like you can't provide the quality of care for patients or children or whoever y- you know I- is in your care if you can't like sleep well and eat well <laughs> you know yeah yeah and so the union is demanding that the starting salary for ESPs be raised from 24,000 a year to 35,000 a year which like I've seen articles being like they're asking for a 50% wage increase I'm yeah. like okay yeah but uh, to 35k a year they're asking to be in- brought up out of poverty to basically still in poverty like <laughs> yeah like it's still it's 1750 an hour to take care of kids all day like honestly I kind of think the union should be asking for more, but like mm-hmm. it's, I think it's an exceedingly reasonable demand, especially while they pointed out. Cause again, like being in Minneapolis is very significant. Like Minneapolis is, you know, the, the birthplace of the, the movement against police terror when George Floyd was killed. And for a, I think apt comparison, uh, the, you know, again, these ESPs are only making $24,000 a year. Meanwhile, starting, salary for a cop in Minneapolis, a, you know, position that is serves absolutely no public utility and is actually a net public negative, uh, is $55,000 a year, more than twice their salary. And they're even offering cops a $7,000 signing bonus to try and boost recruitment. Basically they're giving these people what is essentially a third of the salary, uh, that these ESPs have been making up front to attract more cops all while saying that they can't meet the the insane demand that these workers that take care of kids all day get paid at least seventeen fifty an hour. Yeah, like it is nuts. And the other thing, though, I think that is 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 important to point out is that like this is also a very like these are very gendered positions, which is mm-hmm. plays a big role in like why the state is so reluctant to actually bother to pay these workers. Like, 
uh, one of the articles that I was reading pointed out that like 70% of the teachers that are striking are women. And like the fact that the state has dug in its heels and refused to provide any sort of a, a wage while the low wages, the lack of funding, and basically the abandoning of the public education system in Minneapolis has led to them hemorrhaging staff over the last couple of years. They, they, they cited that in the last year and a half, the Minneapolis public school system has lost over 640 teachers and support staff, which is a mind-boggling number. Yeah. Like, that is wild to lose that many people. And it, it really just shows, like, how the, the, the institution of public education and specifically the position of being a teacher is so heavily under attack right now in this country. Like, a part of it is, a big part of it, obviously, like, I mean, it's, it doesn't really even need pointing out is by the right with, you know, the attacks on woo critical race theory, which is just a, you know, fucking dog whistle to try and enforce white supremacist version of history while also trying to destroy public education so they can privatize it. But even we saw, you know, we've seen over the past several months, the Democrats gleefully attacking teachers unions for trying to stick up for kids and, and trying to keep them, you know, safe during the COVID pandemic. So this is really like the attack on, on teachers in this country is pretty bipartisan right now. Yeah, which is like uh, and, shocking. It's like uh, everybody ganged up on Mister Rogers for some reason. Like, what the fuck yeah. are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is. It's insane. And and this is again like Minneapolis is a city where like basically the whole city government and importantly the school board are all run by Democrats. Mm-hmm. So it's it's wild. Like the the the, the, the Minneapolis Democrat, the Minnesota Democratic Party put out a statement endorsing the union's demands, and I'm like, but you control the government if you believe in their demands uh, just fucking agree to them <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Y- we, you're in power don't just say you stand with people we support the <laughs> teachers and if you support the teachers too you should we encourage you to write us an email asking us to do something <laughs> about it <laughs> yeah uh. I, yeah it's it's nuts and they're saying and of course you know this, this city saying well we would love to we'd love to help you out we just don't have the money but in this case, we actually know precisely how much money they have, and it's a shitload. Mm-hmm. Like the Minnesota has run state deficits for nearly a decade, which is you know pretty rare, uh, especially um, because the federal government doesn't do shit to help states. Didn't you? you but said, like you said, deficit. Oh, sorry, not deficit surpluses. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Minnesota's run surpluses for their state budget for nearly a decade, which is really rare, and. Since the windfall from funding from COVID relief, Minnesota has a current budget surplus of $9.3 billion, with a B dollars. Jesus Christ. And yet they can't afford somehow to pay these education support professionals $35,000 a year. No, because all that money's got to go towards putting a giant inflatable cowboy in the middle of the Mall of America or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or or buying the Minneapolis PD like another tank, like right. It's 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 fucked. Like uh, they even pointed out in, in one of the articles I was reading on this, the lack of funding, the refusal to raise wages, the like refusal to listen to anything the union's been saying, even resulted in the layoffs of of, of vital staff and educators, including. Uh, Somali-American educator 
Korsho Hassan, who was laid off because of her lack of seniority from a position in Burnsville months before being named Minnesota's 2020 Teacher of the Year. That's wow. right. Teacher of the Year getting fired. Like, and, and they're, they have the, they're hemorrhaging teachers as it is, and they're refusing to actually, and I mean, just based on the fact that uh, this is a Somali-American person, it makes me think that the firing itself was probably racially motivated, considering, like, oh, obviously yeah. this teacher is well-respected and a very good teacher getting the literal 2020 Teacher of the Year award. Yeah, it's... I mean, because it's it's nuts. Like, the, you have the state running surpluses of over a billion dollars almost every year for the last, again, nearly decade. And yet they keep just coming up and just lying to everyone's face and saying, we just don't have the money. We can't afford it. It's like, what is more important? It's like your healthcare system, your education system, and housing. Like, that's pretty much, it's like, those are your supposed to be, theoretically, mm-hmm. your priorities. And yet all three of those defunded because of you know our capitalist capture of the state like there was a so like we have a statement in here from drew valley who's a a black special education teacher in minneapolis who said we want fair pay for our education support professionals who are often black and people of color and are unfairly compensated for the real work they do i'm a black teacher and i want to see the working conditions of my peers improve yeah and so that's one of the things that i think has been really inspiring about this because, you know, we'll see sometimes, sometimes we'll see with unions like where the bargaining units are really, really like narrow and focused on just one profession. And so it's really good to see here the teachers standing up for the rest of the staff at the school. And so on the first day of the strike, we saw thousands and thousands of teachers, educators, students, parents, and other supporters who showed up for a rally to launch the strike officially, and then they had a march from the Minneapolis Public School Nutrition Center to the school district office to present their demands. And I do think one thing that I wanted to highlight from this that I think is a good sign is that they were able to get so many students and parents to show up in support because, like, if anybody's, you know, read anything or any of the background on like the Chicago CTO. the teachers union strike, that was such a huge key to winning their last strike and and just generally to building their power is that engagement with the community, the understanding that you you really need to be engaged with with the the parents on this and so like I think that's that's a good sign for for the potential for victory in this strike. Yeah. So hopefully their their strike uh gets their demands met. But, uh, you know, on the same topic of engaging with the community, we're going to move to the meme review, folks. That's right, <laughs> folks. We're doing community outreach by saying this, this Wojak is mad. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, this is one of those, this first one that we're doing is one of those classic with like ghouls in the background with the big, uh, uh, what is it, word art text, the Microsoft yeah, yeah. Word if, art If you text. know the motherfucking share zone, you know what we're looking at. <laughs> yeah. That's right. 
Um, the the text on this one is eating at work should be free. Why is it l- legal to lock snacks in a machine? I'm here for the money. I'm not giving it back, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh I love man, that. so true. I mean, I've always thought that like, As, if this is if a, you're this is one for John. This is yeah. literally like your job. <laughs> I stock those machines. Yeah, but like I, I've always thought this. Like if you work in food service, some places will give you a free meal. But like if you work in food service, you should be able to eat anything you want whenever you want and if you don't work in food service your employer should have to buy you lunch every day like a school giving out cafeteria lunches (laughs) except the analogy doesn't even work because we live in such a diseased country where we charge kids for lunch yeah where we have school lunch debt a concept that is baffling in its cruelty but yeah i i just i don't know i i love the logic of I'm here for the money. I'm not giving it back. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's yeah. like the yeah. when you're when you're working for a place and they are like, oh yeah, we offer a a ten percent discount on all of the products in our stores. Like, yo, you got to give that to me at cost at at like at most. I should actually get most of this shit for free. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and, uh, well, yeah. Our, speaking of. Um, uh, being there for the money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Our next meme is, uh, I, what is this called? Webcomicname.com. Is that the name of the webcomic? Yeah, the webcomic. I always just think of it as the Oh No comics. Yeah, yeah, the Oh No comics. Okay. <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's webcomic name. <laughs> but it's it's this little guy, and he's just like, he's he's leaving a little brick box labeled employment, and it says, I will escape the confines of this box, so I am free to decide my own projects and schedule. And you see him laying bricks down. He's all excited. And then he's sitting inside of an identical box, except instead of employment, it's labeled freelance, and he just says, Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, if you've ever done freelance, um, you know, it fucking sucks. And it sucks because like you have to yell at yourself, like you're your boss. But also something that this comic doesn't address is that clients can often be just as shitty as bosses. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Um, and just like, and then, I mean, uh, there should be a sign on the, on the building that says no healthcare. Right. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Yeah, absolutely. And just like payday equals question mark. <laughs> yeah. Um, payday yeah. equals so send 19 emails in a row. <laughs> hey, you yeah. haven't paid me yet. Hey, you haven't paid me yet. I don't know how many fucking freelance people I've seen go through this where it's like this guy who I should be doing a $50 project for just won't send me the $50. Yeah, it's it's fucking wild. Um and so this next one is, uh, you know, dedicated to the CDC, oh. where it's uh, one of those, you know, trolley problem memes. With but lots of people tied of, to the tracks on one track, but no one on the other. Yeah. And so it's just captioned, you can pull the lever, saving countless lives. However, you already feel like you've done enough. And isn't it time we just get back to normal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it, like this one is it, it's a little less funny than it is like on the nose cuz it's like, oh yeah, that is the new covid policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, people will die, but is that really that bad? <laughs> yeah. That's fucked up. It's fucked up and the system's fucked up, but as for things that are not fucked up, the next two memes are my favorite of this week. 
Uh, I just cannot get over how good they are. Well, I mean, they're also, they're also, you know, there's some fucked up parts about them. But anyway, let's, uh, <laughs> uh, this one is just a employ. it says, uh, employer offers PTO, paid time off. Employ- employee uses PTO, employer, and it's the, a photo of the Spider-Man guy. Uh, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe and Spider-Man yeah. saying, you can't do this to me. <laughs> Which is so like, true. Like, you ever try to file PTO and they're just like, oh, someone already filed their PTO for those days. And it's like, well, I guess then you'll have two employees gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What? Yeah, the, the entire construct of companies being like, yeah, we have a benefit here. You get paid time off that you can use. And then you actually go to use it and they're like, oh, you got to ask permission. It's like, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. Is this a benefit or is this like a gift that I have to beg for? Like, yeah, right. It, it's fucking wild because like that is exactly the attitude. Oh, you, you, you can't do this to me. <laughs> yeah, That's and exactly the attitude so many managers have. Look, I know you're shit. entitled to this technically, but it's <laughs> really inconvenient for me. So <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. gonna have to have you come in on Saturday. That's uh, right. <laughs> so uh, the last one this week, which was my favorite meme of the week, <laughs> this is the funniest one. Yeah, nothing to do with anything we've talked about on the show. <laughs> yeah, we got Maduro a, in the background with it, black and white, his hand in his fist. Very yeah. So go ahead. <laughs> so this is a this is one of those like. You have seen this meme format if you are on Facebook, <laughs> but it has been done in a serious manner. So, yeah, we've got a black and white photo of, of Nicolas Maduro, president of Venezuela, sitting there, and then it's captioned, Sigma male fact number 93,027. Make your biggest haters your biggest customers. <laughs> hashtag Sigma mindset. Hashtag masculinity. Hashtag daily grind. Hashtag Sigma grindset. <laughs> I mean, I love this, too, because it's just so funny, the press coverage that's been coming out recently, where it's like, the U.S. is going to have to pivot to buying more natural resources from Venezuela. Is Venezuela abandoning communism to do business <laughs> with the U.S.? <laughs> and it was just, it was so funny to see this, like, the second the U.S. embargoes Russian oil, suddenly... Juan Guaido is no longer the president of Venezuela. Oh, did, did they did they like like revoke their recognition of him? No, the, but that's what I think is so funny. They didn't even mention him. Mm. There was no like cover story for like oh well, like they didn't even make something up about like Juan Guaido deciding that it was better to like acknowledge the 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 you know the PSUV government there, they literally just dropped his ass like a sack of potatoes <laughs> and admitted what everybody in the fucking world knows that the actual president is the guy who was elected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Juan Guaido is just somewhere in like the middle of Caracas right now on the phone with the CIA. Like, can you please just pick me up? I don't need to be the president. Just pick me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I've seen so many of these that are, that are like, I've seen the ones that are like with, with Maduro's face on Thanos that are just like, so after all this, after all these years, it brings you right back to me. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny that like there is such a, a, even if it is still a minority in like uh, developed powers in the world, there's a wide enough array of socialist or otherwise like 
U.S. enemy states that we literally can't turn away from one without turning to another one anymore. That's <laughs> so fucking hilarious and a little bit reassuring that there <laughs> that there is something going right somewhere in the world. Like, yeah, not not to say that Russia is socialist because they're not. But well, like that's not, not the point. But, that's not yeah, the point. The, <laughs> the fact that when we turn away from them, we have to turn to Venezuela, right? Like it's like if we, you know, if we suddenly like uh, had to to break off relations with brazil we might suddenly warm up to iran for some reason it's just the funniest <laughs> shit in the world you know socialists or not yeah. like it's the enemy states thing is hilarious yeah all right well on that note we are going to wrap for this episode we really want to thank y'all for listening if you want to you can share these episodes with people it really helps get the word out and get more listeners so that we can get these stories out there so that more people are inspired to start their own unions uh if you'd like to help us out a little bit more go to patreon.com slash work stoppage and throw us five dollars a month and you get access to all sorts of awesome episodes we've got episodes on the nature of the state we've actually just done another one of our new series the shop floor discussions where we go a little bit deeper into a particular topic that we would not necessarily be able to cover on this show on our weekly show and we actually went over the uh the continued killings of organizers indigenous people and many others in Colombia, so you know, go ahead and get uh, you know get access to that. And if you can't afford the five dollars a month, go ahead and hop in the Discord. We'll hop in the Discord anyway. But let us know that uh, that you're n- not able, to, or, or just like message us, and we'll we'll get you access. Um, you know, leave us a review somewhere. Follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the Pod at Work Stoppage Pod. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest. Solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody. Make your biggest haters your biggest customers. Sing a <laughs> <laughs>